You're listening to the SSPX Podcast, and welcome to Episode 8 in our Sacrament Series, where Father Paul Robinson will join us to explain in detail the traditional Latin Mass. Even though this episode is more than an hour and a half long, we're only covering the basics of all of the richness and ceremony of a traditional Latin Low Mass. In the description of this episode, we've given more resources for further study, and we'd recommend you do that. But today, we're going to look at the themes of the Mass first. What is the traditional Mass emphasizing over and over? And then we'll go step by step through the Mass with visuals on the video and explanations of the prayers, the symbolism, and the ceremonies performed by priests each day in nearly every country of the world. As we move forward in the series, we're looking for help. If you like these series and want to have more of them, you can help us by leaving a rating or a review wherever you're listening to this podcast, and you can share it with someone who you think would like it, appreciate it, or maybe they just need it. That's the best way to help, because you're helping us with this apostolate to reach as many people as possible with the beauty and the truth of what it means to be a traditional Catholic. Now, let's join Father Robinson for episode number eight of the Sacrament Series right now. Father Robinson, thank you for joining us again on this next episode on the Sacraments um, how are things going in Denver these days? Going fine, uh, Andrew. We have a week off school this week, so that's that's nice. And I'm getting ready to head off to the priors meeting in Kansas City. So it'll be nice to to be there and see all the priors um, and hear the conferences that have been prepared for us. Excellent. Uh, side note, uh, this has nothing to do with the sacraments. What What is a priors meeting? What is that about? Well, once a year, the, the priors get together and uh, we basically um, receive some directives from from the district house and um, we receive some conferences uh, about our role as as priors and it's also a good occasion for us to to come together and see one another and um, share ideas so it's it's uh, i always have have enjoyed the the meetings for sure very good Great. Well, that's uh, that's great. I'm glad you'll be able to do that. And thank you for taking the time to chat with us before you head off there. Um, yeah. We're talking, obviously, about the Holy Eucharist, and this is our second of three episodes on the Sacrament, Father. Um, yes. And today we're talking about the traditional Mass. Next episode, we'll look at the new Mass. Um, right. So where would you like to start in talking about the traditional Mass, Father? Yeah. Um, well, I, I just uh, I'm a bit overwhelmed to be honest with this with this topic. <laughs> just to to in, in in one podcast to go through the traditional mass, um, I, I would just like to point out that if if we have this traditional mass today, if if this 1962 missile is said in so many places throughout the world right now, it's it's really because of Archbishop Lefebvre. Um, he had to make a difficult decision at, at some point, uh, really at, at the, when the new mass was promulgated, uh, what mass he would say at his seminary and what mass his seminarians would be taught to learn. And he he said, you know, I, I think we'll stick with, with the 1962 missile. He said the 1965 missile for a little while, but he said, I think um, I, I feel my faith weakening through saying this mass. Uh, we spoke about last conference how he had such a, a great love for the Mass and a great sensitivity for what the Mass represents. So, uh, thanks be to God, he held on to the Mass when when uh, very few other people were, and he had he was in this position to communicate the Mass to uh, so many others who were being formed as priests and the Ecclesia Dei communities who um, spun off from the Society of St. Pius X or, or were started 
uh, allowed to begin because of the society St. Pius X, they received the same mass uh, because that was that was uh, the legacy from Archbishop Lefebvre. And what what are we preserving? We're, we're preserving. Uh, a, a monument of traditional Catholic culture and uh, just a, a, a real treasure that has sanctified so many throughout the history of the church. You know that our Lord, he gave us the sacrament of the Eucharist, uh, but he didn't give us the mass. And, and by that, I mean that he did not instruct us on what ceremonies that we should use to surround the sacrament of the Eucharist, to um, confect the, the, the sacrament of the Eucharist, to do the consecration and so on. So it was really up to the church to decide what prayers and what ceremonies would surround the, the act of consecration and, and how the sacrifice would be represented. And of course, it was done in, in different ways. That's why you, you have many different rites in the church, many different ways of, of doing the Mass. Um, but we have this, this Latin rite um, that, that was developed in the really early centuries of the church and was refined over time, over a long period of time. Um, you have St. Gregory the Great uh, making some refinements. And pretty much from, from his time um, in the, around the year 600, the Mass has stayed the same until it was finally canonized or set in stone by Pope St. Pius V in, in uh, 1571. So what we have, what we're, we're going to see, Andrew, in going over this this Mass, is, is the, the, the Mass that we have really embodies perfectly the Catholic spirit, uh, the spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ, um, the spirit of the Church. So the, the, the prayers and the ceremonies are a, a perfect expression of what the Mass is meant to represent. Because when you're choosing the prayers, when you're choosing the ceremonies, there, there's a harmony that has to be made between uh, what the Mass is or, or what, what the Eucharist is. Um, there is what the sacrifice of Calvary is and these ceremonies that you're choosing. And it's possible for the ceremonies and the prayers that you choose not actually to match up with um, what the sacrifice of Calvary is in the spirit of our, of our Lord Jesus Christ in, in his offering. Um, but the traditional Mass does that, um, we would say, flawlessly in, in, in a very beautiful way. It harmonizes perfectly with the spirit of our Lord. And so what we're going to see in as we go through these prayers is, is various themes um, that, that reoccur, um, especially the, the, the priest's recognition of his own unworthiness to offer the sacrifice, um, his constant having recourse to the saints to assist him in the offering of the sacrifice, um, the, the consciousness, the, the explicit consciousness throughout the ceremony of what is taking place. Uh, the, the, this is the sacrifice, this is the renewal of the sacrifice of Calvary. Our Lord is really present here. Uh, we are offering him to the Heavenly Father. And the, the purpose for which we're doing this, uh, time and again in the prayers, we will see that, that uh, the prayers ask for our salvation, that, that we are looking through this renewal of the sacrifice of Calvary for the salvation of our own souls. So um, there, there's also the the very much the uh, awareness of the reality of sin and the battle that we have on this earth uh, with with the devil. Um, so 
yes, as I say, uh, these themes um, are the authentic spirit of Catholicism. And that's why this Mass has been so effective throughout the centuries in, in nourishing the faith of so many Catholics. Could you say, uh, Father, that there are, and, and we'll be talking more about the differences when we get into next episode on, on the new rite, the Novus Ordo Mass. Um, could you say that there are m- maybe two main reasons why you want to keep all of these prayers that have been developed over the centuries? And that is, first, that they are more fitting. They they express what is happening, kind of like you said, there are these themes, but also related to that, but also important, there's this education that the Mass is almost like a catechism for the faithful. It's explaining to the faithful what is happening in the sacrifice. So in, on one hand, it's fitting and it's appropriate to have all of these prayers and these ceremonies to elevate the sacrifice as best as possible for offering it to God the Father, but also it's for the faithful. Is that fair? Yes. Uh, so the, the, the Mass is just an embodiment of uh, what we are as as Catholics. And so it's able to instruct at a much deeper level than a sermon by Father Robinson, for instance, um, b- sure. because um, of of the spirit of the Mass, the, the gestures of the Mass. Um, we'll, we'll talk uh, uh, about the, the, the rubrics as well, the movements that are prescribed for the priest. Um, and there's such a spirit of, of adoration of God, of the, the humbling of the creature before God, submission to God, um, the spirit of our Lord, of, of the will to do, the, to do the, the will of the Heavenly Father in his sacrifice. Um, so let me, let me just mention something that Archbishop Lefebvre says about this mass in that, in that regard. He says, the traditional liturgy, such as the church has bequeathed it to us down the centuries is an admirable school of humility. We can see in it, the gestures and the actions, the prostrations, genuflections, bows. These are so many manifestations of our humility, our reverences above all before God. So um, the, the the traditional mass teaches us how to be creatures before God, and that's that's so crucial. But uh, I, I did just want to mention that some of the resources we'll be using in, in going through traditional mass. Um, there's a couple of books offered by Angelus Press. One of them is is this book, uh, Know Your Mass. It's it's actually you know sort of a in a in a comic book uh, style. It's sort of a, a graphic book um, that is I have found extremely helpful to give it just a broad overview of the mass. It really does a great job of giving um, a 35,000 foot perspective of the traditional mass. Um, there's also the, this book, um, the mass of all time by Archbishop Lefebvre. It's just excerpts from his sermons sort of talking about the mass. It goes systematically through each of the, the prayers of the mass and you, you kind of get Archbishop Lefebvre's commentary. Um, and another resource I'll be using is a is a book that was actually written in the 1600s by uh, Father Pierre Lebrun, and it, it's it's a, a book that that can I, I think unfortunately only be found in, in French, but it's really he does an excellent job of explaining why we do what we do in the Mass, and I, I would just be referring to him um, instead of saying Father Lebrun all the time. <laughs> I'll just be calling him Father Brown because, I mean, that's what okay. 
LeBron means, <laughs> just to make it sure. a little bit simpler. Yeah, uh, but he has a lot of, of great insights in, into the Mass. Wonderful. All right, so we'll be putting some links for, for those um, in the description and up on the screen as well. Um, and we are working to get some uh, video as well of the Mass that's still in flux as we're talking right now, but we will try to have that. Um, mm. So as we're going through the Mass, we'll have some visuals um, for you to watch as well. So, Father, let's get started. Um, the Mass is divided into two main sections. Uh, right. There's the Mass of the Catechumens and the Mass of the Faithful. So let's start with the Mass of the Catechumens, Father. Um, yes. Broadly, what is the Mass of the Catechumens? So the Mass of the Catechumens is so-called because it was the part of the Mass that those who were converts to the faith were allowed to attend before they were baptized. And be, because um, in the early church, the the church kind of wanted to hide or keep secret uh, the essential nature of the Mass, they, the, the Mass of the Catechumens does not have a direct connection with the sacrifice. Um, it, it is main, mainly meant to accomplish two things. First of all, to say some prayers um, that help dispose us for being at the sacrifice, and and also to instruct us, and and that that also disposes us for being at the sacrifice. So so we say some prayers um, that are, are are meant to help us assist at mass well, and then we also in the second part of the mass of the catechumens we hear various passages from scripture that get us ready for the sacrifice. Now, in the traditional Mass, the Mass of the Catechumens <clears throat> is clearly something less than the Mass of the Faithful. The Mass of the Faithful is the main part of the Mass. It is a sacrificial part of the Mass. It is the sacramental part of the Mass. Um, whereas the Mass of the, of the Catechumens, as they say, is it's just prayers and instructions to get us ready for that main part of the Mass, <clears throat> the Mass of the Faithful. So, okay. um, yes, we we obviously start the mass with the prayers at the foot of the altar. The priest does not go immediately to the altar uh, because he needs he has he's deeply conscious that the, the church makes him deeply conscious of the fact that he's not worthy to approach the altar and he needs to say some preliminary prayers. Um, he starts the mass with with the sign of the cross. And that's very appropriate because um, we're renewing the sacrifice of the cross. Uh, then he says the Psalm 42, the Yudikame. And this psalm just very beautifully represents the dispositions of a priest who wants to go to the altar of God. Um, and it, it expresses this desire that, that God sort of look upon him and judge him um, acceptable to go to the altar of God. And then it also expresses this uh, keen uh, desire, wish of, of the priest to, to be there, to enter the tabernacle of the Lord for the performance of the ritual sacrifice. So it's just a, a very good way to start off at the foot of the altar before he actually ascends to the altar to express his desire to go to the holy mountain, you know, ascend to the holy mountain. Okay. And and this was uh, this was originally not a part of the mass many many centuries ago. This this comes from um, historically the the private prayers that the priest would say as he is approaching the altar, and then it became codified as we'll see with many parts of the mass. It became codified and set 
that a priest should say these, but the priest would often say this Psalm 42 as he was just walking towards the altar in the procession. Correct, correct. It was a sort of a preparatory prayer um, at one point for starting the Mass, and now uh, later on it was incorporated into the Mass proper, kind of like the the last gospel. The last gospel um, used to be something right. that was kind of said after Mass, and then later on it was it was incorporated as part of the Mass. Okay. One of the yeah. themes you talked about was the uh, forgiveness of sins, the remission of sins, the you know, this propitiatory uh, nature of the Mass. And we get that right at the very beginning, again, with the prayers at the foot of the altar with the confidior, right? Yes. Yes. And it's striking how perseveringly the, the priest um, goes after his sins. It starts with the confidior, and that's where he confesses his sins. And, of course, he also... Um, confesses them to the Blessed Virgin Mary, to, to um, St. Michael the Archangel, to St. John the Baptist, St. Peter and Paul, and he says to all the saints. Um, and he, he strikes his breast three times. He says, through my fault, to my fault, through my most grievous fault. And he's um, asking for the forgiveness of his sins, knowing that he needs to be pure in his soul. His soul needs to be as clean as possible before he actually offers the sacrifice. And St. Augustine speaks about this reason for striking the breast. He says that we're wanting to break our hearts, um, as it were, symbolically break our hearts um, so that God will put a new heart into us so that we will be pleasing to him. It's kind of reminds you of the prayer we say to the sacred heart, you know, make our hearts like unto thine. Um, we want, we kind of want a, a different heart than the one we have, the sinful heart that we have in order to perform this great act. Um, so in, in the traditional mass, the, the priest uh, to, to make, because the, the, the mass wants to make a distinction between the priest and the faithful, because they have different roles. Um, only the priest has been consecrated to perform the sacrifice, um, while the, the faithful, as we mentioned, are meant to unite with the sacrifice. So the priest makes the confession on his own. Then the faithful ask God to have mercy upon the priest. Then the faithful make their confession, exactly like the priest. The priest asks God to, that he will have mercy upon them. And then the, the priest says uh, a concluding prayer, um, the indulgentium, where he, he says, May the Almighty and merciful God grant us pardon, absolution, and remission of our sins. So you, you both, uh, the priest and the faithful, confess their sins and ask God for mercy upon one another. And then the priest wraps up by asking God pardon, absolution, and remission of, of all of our sins. Okay. And then there are some more uh, prayers, again, taken from the Psalms, I believe. Uh, and then the priest ascends the altar. Um, and there's nothing really ever done without some sort of a prayer attached to it. And this is another case where over the centuries, prayers developed. And there's a prayer that is said as the priest walks up to the altar itself. Yes. Yes. So after a, a few verses and responses exchanged with the server, the priest then is ready to ascend to the altar. Um, and as he does so, he's continuing saying prayers along this same theme, that asking God that he take away his sins. But this time, he's not praying aloud. This is the first time 
that he prays in silence. And there are many times the, 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 during the Mass that the priest prays in silence, but it's like he's kind of leaving the faithful now. He was kind of there with the faithful at the base of the altar. Now he's going to ascend to the holy mountain and uh, be there alone, while periodically he will turn and, and speak to those who are at the, still at the bottom of the mountain. Um, he is, is going up, and he's just going to be praying silently. He says the prayers Alpha Nobis and Oramus Te. Um, in the Alpha Nobis, he says, as he's walking up the steps, he says, Take away from us our iniquities. We beseech thee, O Lord, that being made pure in heart, we may be worthy to enter into the Holy of Holies. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. And then when he gets to the top of the altar, he's supposed to put his folded hands on the, the altar. And he says the Oramus Te prayer, um, where he asks that the saints whose relics are there, contained in the altar stone, that they intercede for him and in order that his sins be wiped away. He says, We beseech thee, O Lord, by the merits of thy saints, whose relics are here. And when he says those words, he has to kiss the relics that are, that are on, in, on, in the altar stone. And of all the saints, that thou wouldst vouchsafe to pardon me all my sins. Amen. So we, we put these uh, relics of the saints in the altar stone because of the fact that in the beginning of the church, since the martyrs conformed themselves most perfectly to the passion of our Lord, often Mass was said on top of the tomb of a martyr. But over time, as the church grew, they realized we can't have martyrs, you know, bodies of martyrs everywhere, like a body of a martyr in, in every single church and say the mass on top of the body of the martyr. So what we'll do is we'll take some relics of the martyrs and we, we will put those relics um, into the altar stone and, and we will say mass on top of that altar stone. Um, and this is what is uh, necessary, even even if a priest is saying Mass uh, at a campsite or out in the woods somewhere, he needs to bring with him a, a Greek corporal that has some relics of the saints um, so that he can have uh, the intercession of, of those saints. But um, what what is... Uh, what, I, what I want to emphasize, just sort of wrapping up this this part of the Mass uh, before we go into the instruction part, is the, its its central theme is, is just these continual prayers um, for the remission of the sins of the priest. He's, the, the consciousness of the unworthiness of the priest and the need for him to be as pure as possible in his soul um, is so present at, at the beginning of the Mass. Um, it is beautiful, and and Father, the the priest um, kisses the altar basically each time before he turns around to the faithful. He kisses the altar here as he yes. approaches it, and then I yes. believe he kisses it at, at the end of Mass. But then each time before he turns around to face the the faithful, he will kiss the altar again. Is that sort of a way of communicating the the sacredness of the sacrifice back to the faithful? Is that the symbolism there? Yes. Well. The, the altar uh, represents our Lord Jesus Christ. And okay. when um, he kisses the altar, he, it's like he's kissing our Lord himself. Uh, and mm. uh, when, when he turns around and says, Dominus Vobiscum, he gives our Lord to the faithful to a certain degree. This is, this is what Father Brown says. Um, he says that the priest kisses the altar to receive the peace of Jesus Christ before giving that to the people. Uh, because the altar stone 
represents our Lord, who is the cornerstone of the church. And the priest will turn around periodically. I mean, he doesn't do it this part. We'll, we'll see a little bit later on. He doesn't. And as you say, he does it many times during the Mass. Um, but he he wants to remind them of the fact that they're supposed to be united with him in the sacrifice, uh, that the whole assembly is meant to be of one spirit in their prayer, joining with the priest. And that is their real active participation. I mean, there, there's, when the priest turns around, they're supposed to, the people are supposed to be aware, even if they're not having a dialogue mass and they're not saying, Ecum Spiritu Tuo, um, they're, they're supposed to recognize their union with the priest. Sorry, I kind of skipped ahead a little bit. I didn't realize <laughs> you were going to talk about that. So sorry, I'll, I'll bring you back. Um, so he goes up to the altar and begins um, some, of these, some of these prayers. What does he start with, Father? Yes, so... Um, once he he gets up to the altar, um, we we start some some prayers, um, and they those prayers correspond to the four purposes for prayer. Um, the the introit is is a psalm that's selected that generally follows uh, the theme of the mass. If there's a certain theme of the mass, um, it's called the introit or entrance because uh, typically it was sung as the priest was entering into the church. Then there's the Kyrie, the Gloria, and the Collect. Um, so the Kyrie is a prayer of reparation, one of the intentions of prayer. Um, the Gloria is a prayer of adoration and thanksgiving, and the Collect is a prayer of petition. So you have the four purposes of prayer, which would be adoration, thanksgiving, reparation, and petition. The Kyrie is... Um, one of the rare prayers in the, in the, in the mass that is Greek. And it's uh, three sets of three prayers asking God to have mercy on us. The three sets represent the three persons of the Holy Trinity. So we say Lord have mercy on us three times to God, the father, we say Christ have mercy on us three times to God, the son and Lord have mercy on us three times to God, the Holy ghost. And uh, father Brown, he, he says also that the, the nine invocations also represent the singing of the nine choirs of, of angels. So this is one mm. for each of the nine choirs of angels. Um, and then we go into the Gloria, uh, a really stunningly beautiful prayer. The Gloria is like an extension of the glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. It's, it's a, a hymn of adoration and thanksgiving to the Blessed Trinity. And it um, starts off addressing uh, God the Father, uh, glory, to be God, glory be to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men of goodwill. Um, we praise Thee, we bless Thee, we adore Thee, we glorify Thee, we give Thee thanks for Thy great glory. Uh, this is, for me, the most striking sentence in the, in the whole Gloria. We give Thee thanks for Thy great glory. We, we thank God mm. for being God, you know. Um, then, Lord God, Heavenly King, God the Father Almighty, then we address our Lord, uh, Lord Jesus Christ, only begotten Son, Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, you who take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. You who take away the sins of the world, receive our prayer. You who sit at the right hand of the Father, have mercy on us. For thou alone art holy, thou alone, O Jesus Christ, art most high, with the Holy Ghost, in the glory of the Father. Amen. So that, that Gloria, because it's such a joyful um, prayer, 
And because it's so solemn, it's such a solemn doxology. The, the, the doxologies are um, the end of prayers and hymns that praise the Blessed Trinity. So uh, the, the Gloria Patri is like an extended doxology. And because it's, it's so joyful, so solemn, it is omitted in uh, masses that are, that are just votive masses or uh, ferial masses or masses that are said in, with violet vestments or, or black vestments. Um, you, 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 you know, people go to mass, they, sh- they might notice that the Gloria is omitted often at, at masses during the week or masses during Septuagesima or Lent or, or Advent, and, and that's the reason. Um, okay. So it's after that that the, the priest, um, he's, he's at the center of the altar, and he's going to say the collect. And um, you, you notice that before the collect and the post-communion, he does want to grab the attention of the faithful. So he kisses the altar. He turns around. He says, the Lord be with you. And they say, and with your spirit. Um, so the the people must have this disposition to want to return uh, the good wishes of the priest. They, they say, uh, uh, and with your spirit, uh, according to Remy of Auxerre, Remy of Auxerre, uh, ecclesiastical figure in the ninth century, he, he says the reason why they say, and with your spirit, is to indicate that the ministry which follows must be done spiritually with the attention of a rational soul who has been created with the ability to receive the divine light and grace. Um, this is a spiritual activity. It's an activity of the soul. So the priest goes over to the missal, and he says the collect. The collect is... Uh, a word that refers to the gathering of the faithful, um, the assembly of the faithful. This is a prayer that is made over the assembly. kind of gives a theme for the whole Mass. Um, it matches up with the saint of the day, for instance, if, if uh, it's a Mass of a saint or the theme of the Sunday Mass. And it's... Uh, a prayer that the priest repeats many times during the day, uh, whenever he says uh, an hour of the divine office, most of the hours of the divine office, ask him to say this prayer, this collect, at the end of the day. So it's not just a summary of the theme of the Mass, but really the theme of the day for the priest. These these collects are incredibly uh, beautiful prayers. The the collection of collects, if we could say that, <laughs> that we have um, throughout the year in the traditional mass, are um, extremely beautiful. They they follow a certain pattern. They uh, address they all address God the Father, and they are through our Lord Jesus Christ in union with the Holy Ghost. So they also incorporate the Trinity. But um, they're addressed to, to God the Father through our Lord. And we, we don't have time to, to get into to some of these collects. Um, it, and unfortunately, I don't think with the Novus Ordo part, we'll be able to compare the collects. But that's a really fascinating study in itself. And you, you get to learn the spirit of the church. Um, one of the, I'll just mention in passing, the, one of the most notable um, Collects of the year, and it kind of recurs multiple times, is where it says, Terena de Spitre et Amare Celestia, that they were asking to despise earthly things and to love heavenly things. It's kind of a summary of the, of the spirit uh, of, of the collects. That's beautiful. So these four prayers are 
corresponding with the four main intentions of the Mass. And then we get on to um, the section that is essentially the instruction of the faithful. Um, there's this part of the Mass where the epistle, the gospel, these prayers are, are read. And mm-hmm. the intention there is to instruct the people who are in attendance. Correct. So up to this point, we've been praying. And we, we've been praying, we've been focused on um, the intention of purifying our souls in, in pre- preparation for the sacrifice. We've also been praying for these other intentions, um, the four intentions of prayer. And now we move into the second part of the mass, mass of the catechumens, and that is meant to instruct us, um, to, to give us uh, words from Holy Scripture, to give us the, the words of the priest in his sermon. It starts with the epistle where we have some inspired authors um, speak to us, whether it be the apostles, when, when we have a letter from St. Paul, for instance, or from St. Peter, or one of the prophets. Um, so we, we hear some passage that might connect with the theme of the Mass. After that, you have the gradual and the tract, um, or during Paschal time, the double Alleluia, or the gradual and the Alleluia at other times. So it kind of varies what will happen between the epistle and the gospel, what type of reading is done. Um, the gradual is so called from, uh, it's not because it's said gradually, um, you know, step by step, but, but it's said because uh, of the word gradus, it means step. Um, so we, we say gradually now to mean step by step, but um, gradus actually means step. And, and that part of the Mass was sung on one of the steps. So that's why it's called the gradual. And then sometimes after seeing the gradual, um, the, the person who was singing would continue immediately all at once to, to continue without stopping seeing something else. And in Latin, that, that's, that's uh, the word is tractim, um, to, to sing it ah. successively. Yeah, and that's why we got the word tract. Um, so you don't stop, you just, you just keep singing. Whereas at other times, if you're not singing a tract, you, you perhaps singing an alleluia, you stop, and then you, you start up with, with the alleluia. So uh, you, know, you, just, you just get various ways of following on the epistle at that point. Okay. Um, the the prayer that is said before the gospel is is striking. Again, there's this constant repetition of the unworthiness of, of the priest. You mentioned mm-hmm. this at the end of the uh, last episode when I asked you, you know, what is going through your head when you're celebrating Mass? Um, and you basically inferred this. Uh, there's this prayer for to help me to be able to proclaim the gospel. Yes, the, the Mundo Cormeum. So, I think there's maybe three times when, uh, besides the confidier, uh, when the priest makes a profound bow. So he he, he bows, you know, to where he, uh, he's basically horizontal. The upper part of his body is, is horizontal. At the Mundo Cormeum, um, he looks firstly at the cross, then he bows in that horizontal position. And he takes an image from the, the gospel of... Uh, not the gospel of Isaiah, the prophecy of, of Isaiah, wherein um, Isaiah has this vision of some angels, and 
they come and they take a burning coal and they, they put it in his mouth to purify him so that he can be a prophet and he can say the words of God. So his, his, uh, his lips and his mouth are purified by this burning fire. And the priests ask that before he pronounced the words of the gospel, he, he, he bows himself down and he, and he says, Cleanse my heart and my lips, O Almighty God. Who didst cleanse the lips of the prophet Isaiah with the burning coal? Through thy gracious mercy, so purify me that I may worthily proclaim thy holy gospel through Christ our Lord. Amen. And then there's another prayer that I, I think is uh, probably originated with the solemn high mass when you have the deacon there, um, wherein the the priest gives a blessing to the deacon, but but he also um, asks this blessing of, of our Lord if he says the Mass by himself. He says, Grant, O Lord, thy blessing. May the Lord be in my heart and on my lips, that I may worthily and fittingly proclaim his gospel. Amen. After that, he walks over to the left side, the gospel side of the altar, and he speaks the, the gospel, the, the words of our Lord, excerpt from one of the four gospels. And in, in the sung mass, this uh, chanting of the gospel is solemnized by three different ceremonies. First of all, there is the insensation of the gospel. Um, so the the, go, the the book of the that, that contains the words of the gospel is given the the triple double. You know, the, the the priest swings it two times to the center, two times to the left, two times to the right, um, to indicate the reverence for the, the words of Christ. Then the acolytes are there. They're carrying candles, um, a sign of the joy that the gospel gives to us and to indicate that our Lord is the true light who illuminates us. And then finally, um, the, the faithful are commanded to stand at this point uh, to hear the words of our Lord, to add extra solemnity to the reading of the gospel. Then, of course, at the beginning of the gospel, everyone signs themselves on their foreheads, on their lips, and on their breasts. It's, um, we, we sign ourselves on the forehead to indicate that we're ready to proclaim the faith. If you, if you put something on your forehead, everybody can see it. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. You sign yourself on the lips and to show that you are, are willing to confess the gospel. And you sign yourself on your heart to show that you must imprint the gospel into your heart. Um, so it, it is, the, I think, the most solemn moment of the Mass of the Catechumens, this, this reading of uh, the words of, of our Lord. Okay. Um, then we move on to, not always, but often, the, the sermon. Um, and mm-hmm. this, is, this is really kind of a break in the Mass. It's not officially part of the Mass, so to speak, which is why the priest removes the maniple the the vestment that he has on his left arm and and places it on the altar or on the book mm-hmm. this is to symbolize that this is not officially part of the mass do i have that right yes yes um the priest often takes off the maniple when when he does something um extra ceremonial something something in addition to the mass so i think you're probably right about that andrew um you know, you see, you see him to not have the maniple when he does the asparagus on, on Sundays. He puts the right. maniple on afterwards. Or if he, he's at a funeral, uh, he's doing a funeral mass after the mass, he'll take the maniple off and then go to the, the coffin to do the absolution there. Yeah, so um, 
The, the sermon is for the instruction of, of everybody by the priest that they've, they've heard from the apostles or from the prophets. Um, they've heard from our Lord, and then you know, they hear something from the priest. And it's probably a place at this moment um, so that the catechumens can hear the, the sermon as well, the instruction. And then finally, the last thing that's done for the Mass of the Catechumens on um, certain Masses, uh, Masses that are said on Sundays, for instance, or Masses of the Apostles or of uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary, is, is the Nicene Creed that we make the profession of faith. And that is um, something we do right before beginning the sacrifice the 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 book know know your mass speaks of it as a certain password (laughs) um you have to Mm. you have to know the password to get in to to the the mass of the faithful and so that is recited on uh those special occasions um the church does not feel that that we need to to do that at every single mass but but mainly on the sundays mass of the apostles mass of the blessed virgin mary okay so now we move on to the Mass of the Faithful, and mm-hmm. this is when we have the offering, the offertory, the, the sacrifice, really, this part, this is the, the sacrifice really starts here. Yes. Yeah. So when we spoke uh, in last in the last podcast about the three elements of the sacrifice, we said there was the, the offering of the victim, the immolation of the victim, and the consummation of the victim. So we start here. Um, the sacrifice proper with that first stage, the offering of the victim. And you know that the the priest, um, he, he uncovers the chalice and you have the bread. He offers the bread. Um, then he goes over and he fills up the chalice with wine. He comes back over and he offers the wine. Um, and then he, he washes his hands to prepare for the immolation of the victim. Um, and then he, he comes back and he asks the, the Holy Trinity to... Uh, to accept this this oblation, this offering that that he's making. So that's that's just the the the, the offering part of the offertory is the central part. So um, in the Know Your Mass book, it, it it tries to indicate how we're we're mounting up to the climax of the mass, which is the the moment of the consecration. And that the, 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 there's kind of this, this building intensity up to that point, and then we sort of come down after there. The offertory starts um, with the offertory verse, so the, the, the people used to bring up offerings at that time. And while they were bringing them up, um, there was uh, a verse from the Psalms that, that was sung. Um, and, and something that, that I, I, I feel to mention, I, and I do want to say, is that it was at this point, right right before the offertory, right after the creed, that, that the catechumens were sent away. They were told to, to go. <laughs> and um, the word that was used was, was misa. Misa, they, the, the word mito, mitere, it means to send in Latin. And the past participle is misa. So the, the misa is having been sent away, the one who's, who has been sent away. Um, so they were, they were misa at that point. And that, that word over time, um, when the, the, since that is the moment the sacrifice actually begins, and it is the misa point, um, that's why the mass eventually was, was called the mass. It's, it's called the mass after the word mm. misa. 
Um, so just a, a, a little factoid that I think is quite fascinating because the, the word yeah. mass can be a little bit mysterious when you know what it means. Um, it means being sent away. So um, that seems strange. Um, <laughs> so the, the, uh, after the offertory verse, the priest uncovers the chalice and he takes the patent with, with the host on it. Um, and I, I know the, the one of the comments on the on the last podcast was uh, someone saying, "Well, um, is it true that you should put everything of your life, um, especially your sufferings, on the patent at that at that moment?" And I, I think that's a view, very beautiful pro, uh, practice to to have this mentality that um, I unite myself with our Lord by putting myself on the patent yeah. with our Lord at this moment. So this in this prayer. The priest lifts his eyes to the cross. Then he, he brings them down. And this happens um, because the, the prayer refers to the unworthiness of the priest, a common theme, as you know. And he asks the Father to receive this immaculate offering and grant pardon for his sins, offenses, and negligences. Then he prays for those who are assisting at the Mass and finally, he prays for the rest of the church and the souls in purgatory. And I also want to mention that, that he asks for salvation, the common theme. So here is that prayer. Accept, O Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, this spotless host or victim, which I, your unworthy servant, offer to you, my living and true God, to atone for my numberless sins, offenses, and negligences. On behalf of all here present, and likewise for all faithful Christians, living and dead, that it may profit me and them as a means of salvation to life everlasting. Amen. So that's uh, the, the offering prayer. Uh, then the priest moves over to the epistle side. The The servers bring up the cruets. He pours wine into the chalice. And then he blesses the water, which represents the faithful, and he pours one drop of water into the chalice. Father Brown, he says there's three reasons why this is done, the drop of water. First of all, to imitate our Lord, who at the Last Supper added water when he uh, consecrated the Paschal Cup. He, he added water to the wine. This is one of the prescriptions for, for doing it. Secondly, to indicate the union of the faithful with, with our Lord, the fact that they are offered with him. And then thirdly, to represent the, the water and the blood that, that flowed from the side of our Lord when he was on the cross. Hmm. This um, prayer goes as follows. O God, who in creating man didst exalt his nature very wonderfully, and yet more wonderfully didst establish it anew. By the mystery signified in the mingling of this water and wine, grant us to have part in the Godhead of him who has deigned to become a partaker of our humanity, Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with thee in the unity of the Holy Ghost, God, world without end. Amen. So after that prayer, um, which is begun on the side of the altar, but then is concluded when the priest returns to the center of the altar. Once he gets back there, because he now has this wine and the, and the water mixed with it, he's ready to offer the wine. Um, and it's, it's interesting in the traditional Mass that 
although it's not the body of our Lord yet, um, yet the, the Mass refers to it as a victim. So it's, there's a certain anticipation in the Mass. We know that these sacramental species are going to become our Lord, um, and we treat them already as, as if they are the victim. So the priests, okay. in this prayer, this is, this is the one prayer in the whole Mass where the priest keeps his eyes on the cross the whole time. There are many times when he's asked to lift his eyes to the cross, but then he always lowers them again because of the fact that the prayer always refers to his own unworthiness. So he has to lower them immediately. This is the one prayer, um, it's, it's the rare exception, where the prayer does not refer to the unworthiness of the priest. So this prayer goes as follows. We offer unto thee, O Lord, the chalice of salvation, entreating thy mercy that our offering may ascend with a sweet fragrance in the sight of thy divine majesty for our own salvation and for that of the whole world. Amen. So it's another prayer asking that we receive the salvation of our souls through this Mass. After that, there are uh, three prayers for the purity of the priest, since he's he's now made the offering and he's mo- going to be moving towards the um, immolation part of the sacrifice, uh, the climax of the sacrifice, um, he asks for purity. There are three prayers. The first one is a prayer for humility, um, to that the, the priest be purified from past sins. He says, humbled in spirit and contrite of heart, and he, and he says this with his hands on the altar and sort of bent over, may we find favor with thee, O Lord, and may our sacrifice be so offered this day in thy sight as to be pleasing to thee, O Lord God. Then he takes his, his hands, moves them in a circle, and makes the sign of the cross over the oblations, the the, the wine and the bread, and he makes a prayer to the Holy Ghost. This is this is called the Epiclesis. So the Epiclesis is a prayer to the Holy Ghost that's found in all the masses, um, the, the the different rites of the Mass in the Catholic Church, and it appears at this point in the traditional Latin Mass. Okay. So that prayer says, "Come, thou the sanctifier, almighty and everlasting God, and bless this sacrifice." which is prepared for the glory of thy holy name. And he goes over to wash his hands um, at the lavabo. It's Psalm 25, um, where the, the priest mentions that he's washing his hands among the innocent, and he uh, specifies there are certain classes of people that, that he needs to avoid if, if he is to be among the innocent. And he just takes he just takes his canonical fingers and he, he washes those. He doesn't he doesn't wash his whole hands at that point. And Father Brown says there's two reasons for this, um, because the, the the primary thing that needs to be cleansed are those what are called the canonical fingers. So these are the four fingers that are actually touching the sacred species, touching the host during the Mass. So those are the main ones that need to be cleaned. The the priest is not supposed to touch the host with his other fingers um, through the whole Mass, the traditional Mass. Um, Then secondly, that the the washing is is not for wiping the stains of the body. It's not a question of 
cleaning usually taking a bath you know that's not that's not the point of the ceremony right. <laughs> soon we have to wash the whole body um that would be a bit awkward in the midst of the mass uh, to say the <laughs> least i get hosed down you know um so it's it's rather to indicate that the soul the, the purification of the soul so the washing of the of the of the canonical fingers is a symbol of the purification of the soul even of the least stains i mean we've asked for this purification so many times at this point but but still there might be uh, these vestiges of stains on the soul that need to be cleansed. So after the lavabo, the priest returns to the center of the altar and he says a beautiful prayer to the Holy Trinity. After he's made the offerings of both the the uh, bread and the wine, he asks the Trinity to um, accept this, this oblation. And he offers them to the Trinity for the honor of the saints and again for our salvation. Um, yes, it's it, it, I, I, one thing I, I do want to note is is that we see the, the reference to the sacrifice time and again in the, the midst of these prayers. Um, several of the prayers have mentioned the word sacrifice, but um, the whole offertory exudes this consciousness of the fact that that we are offering a sacrifice. Here is is this prayer. Um, Receive, O Holy Trinity, this oblation or offering, which we make to thee in memory of the passion, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ, and in honor of Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, of Blessed John the Baptist, the Holy Apostles Peter and Paul, of these and of all the saints, to them let it bring honor, and to us salvation. And may they whom we are commemorating here on earth deign to plead for us in heaven through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. So he uses the word oblation, um, the technical term for some, something that's, that's a victim for a sacrifice. Then um, again, he kisses the altar, and this is the point where he turns around, and he, he himself has already prayed during the midst of this offertory, that the, the sacrifice uh, be acceptable to God. That's what he's just prayed to the Trinity. And he turns around and he says to the faithful, pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Father Almighty. This is the point when the, the server says the Sushipiat prayer, one of the toughest prayers to learn for the, uh, for the server who's learning is. his Latin. <laughs> I still get trip, tripped up on it. Uh Sorry. <laughs> uh, but it is interesting, Father, the, the Arate Fratres, this is the last time that the priest will turn around until communion again. So this is, he turns and, and he turns all the way around um, and then that's it. Now his back is turned and he is solely focused on what is about to happen. Yes, yes. Um, so he's he's going to be done at that point with facing the faithful. He's not going to, to face the faithful again, really, until communion time um, because yes he set his face to offer the sacrifice to to perform the um, consecration the immolation the, the sacramental immolation okay. the prayer that the the faithful say is may the lord accept the sacrifice from thy hands so they're saying it's it's your sacrifice um, to the praise and glory of his name for our benefit and that of all his holy church and then the, the priest says a special prayer to prepare for the offering, the sacrifice, called the secret 
obviously called the secret because he he says it silently. Um, if you have those three proper prayers of the Mass, the collect, secret, post-communion, this is the only prayer that is not said aloud. And then he, he launches into uh, the preface. It's a very solemn prayer saying how fitting it is for him to, to be doing this act um, of, of offering to the Blessed Trinity. As you know, there are uh, different prefaces for depending on the, on the Mass that is, is being offered. Um, I'll just give an example of the preface for the Holy Trinity that is said on many Sundays throughout the year. Um, it, it goes like this. It is truly meet and just, right for our salvation, again, reference to salvation, that we should at all times and in all places give thanks unto Thee, O Holy Lord, Father Almighty, everlasting God, who together with Thy only begotten Son and the Holy Ghost are one God, one Lord, not in the oneness of a single person, but in the trinity of one substance. What we believe by the revelation of Thy glory, the same do we believe of Thy Son, the same of the Holy Ghost, without difference or separation. So that in confessing the true and everlasting Godhead, distinction in persons, unity in essence, and equality in majesty may be adored, which the angels and archangels, the cherubim also, and the seraphim do praise, who cease not daily to cry out with one voice, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God of hosts, heaven and earth are full of thy glory, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. So, this preface is just like the last prayer before we begin the canon of the Mass. Um, and it's just expressing the solemnity of, of what's going to happen, this supreme homage that we give to the Blessed Trinity. Um, you know, the, the, the Sanctus 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 is, is taken from the book of Isaiah, where the, the cherubim and the seraphim are surrounding the throne of God, and they're, they're, they're singing praise to God. Um, so we, we really are going into the most solemn moment of the Mass. Uh, the bells are rung at the Sanctus, and, and at that point, and, until the Paternoster, through the entire canon, there's just complete silence. Um, I mean, the bells, <clears throat> the bells are obviously rung at the elevation, but the priest says all these prayers in silence. The only exception is the Nobis Quoque Peccatoribus, which he says a little bit out loud just to to keep the faithful aware <clears throat> that the the canon will will soon be ended. Okay. Next, we move on to the canon itself. Um, what does what does canon mean, Father? It's spelled with one n, not two, so it's yeah. not the boom canon. <laughs> it's it's something else. Yeah, yeah. We we don't get out the cannonball at that point. It's it's uh, canon means a fixed rule. Uh, it's something that, that does not change. So it's just to express that this part of the mass is unchangeable. It's meant to remain the same, um, and. There's a lot of prayers. The prayers are, are very rich. And the, the book Know Your Mass, it's, it gives, again, this, this staircase going up and going down. And it, and it has the consecration as the central part of the canon. And there are certain prayers leading up to the consecration, certain prayers uh, coming down from the consecration. And effectively, it tries to says, say on both sides of the consecration, there are um, offering prayers and there are remembrance prayers. So um, there are 
three prayers of remembrance and two prayers of offering and one prayer to the Trinity on both sides of the canon of the Mass. So you, you start off with the prayer to the Trinity, three prayers of remembrance, two prayers of offering, then you have the consecration, then you come down and you have two prayers of offering, three prayers of remembrance, and then a prayer to the Trinity. Okay. Yes. So the, the canon of the Mass goes from that, that uh, the initial prayer, the Te Iji Tour, all the way to the Pater Noster, where we get the Per Omnia Secula Seculorum, Amen. That's the end of the canon when the silence is broken. And throughout the canon, in the traditional Mass, the, the priest is, is making many signs of the cross. Or the offering, sometimes it's, it's over both the, the bread and the wine. Sometimes it's just over the bread. Sometimes it's just over the wine. And these signs of the cross are made both before the consecration and after the consecration. But Father Brown points out that there is a, a, a difference in the language that is used and the signification of the signs of the cross before the consecration and then after the consecration. So before the consecration, the, the word bless is often used, um, that you would bless this, this matter. And uh, the purpose of the signs of the cross is to draw down graces um, or indicate that, that we expect to receive graces by the merits of the cross of our Lord. And um, the, the signs of the cross are kind of linked with the graces that we are expecting. So um, we'll see that. With the first example will be in the Te Torah, we'll see in, in just a second. Then after the consecration is done, the priest no longer uses the word bless uh, because it is our Lord that he's making the sign of the cross over our Lord. Um, so he uses the word offer. Um, and the signs of the cross um, are meant to indicate that this is the very body of our Lord. So Father, Father Brown says, the church leaves out nothing to impress upon the mind of the priest and those assisting at the Mass that the sacrifice of the altar is the same as that of the cross. She wants her priest to represent Jesus Christ immolated on the cross, especially after the consecration. Now, to produce this effect, she wants that the words which refer to the body and blood of Jesus Christ be accomplished by a sign of the cross which shows that the host and what is contained in the chalice are the same body that was crucified and the same blood which was poured forth on the cross. So after the consecration, it symbolizes the union between our Lord present at the altar with that cross, that the sign of the cross that's being made over the offering. So the, the first <clears throat> prayer that the priest says, and, and this is um, actually another prayer where, where he, he bends down, um, there's more prayers than, than I expected, where he, where he bends down sort of horizontally at the altar. This prayer indicates those for whom the sacrifice is all offered um, for the entire church, for the pope, for the local bishop. Uh, used to be the king was, was mentioned in there, the, the highest ruler, mm. ruler of the state. And there are three signs of the cross that the priest makes over both the bread and the wine um, after he, he sort of rises up at a certain point and moves his hands in, in a circle and makes the signs of the cross. He says, Most merciful Father, we humbly pray and beseech thee through Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, to accept and to bless, there is that word, these gifts 
these presents, these holy unspotted sacrifices, which we offer up to thee in the first place for thy holy Catholic Church, that it may please thee to grant her peace, to preserve, unite, and govern her throughout the world, as also for thy servant, Pope Francis, and I would say um, Samuel, our bishop, that's the local bishop, and for all Orthodox believers and all who profess the Catholic and Apostolic faith. So we indicate who we're, we're offering the sacrifice for. Then there is the memento of the living. This is a remembrance prayer. We remember um, those, the, the, the priest remembers th- those whom he wants to offer um, particular prayers for. It's not, it's not who he's ma- offering the Mass for. So the, the, there's, a, there's an intention for the Mass. <clears throat> and then there is the, the, the church provides for the priest a moment right here where he can pray for specific people of, of his own intentions. And, of course, the faithful can as well at that moment. This prayer, likewise, asks for salvation, the salvation of those whom we pray for. Um, and the the priest not only prays for these specific people, he also prays for those who are assisting at the Mass. He says, Be mindful, O Lord, of thy servants and handmaids, so-and-so, and of all here present, whose faith and devotion are known to thee, for whom we offer, or who offer up to thee, this sacrifice of praise for themselves and all those dear to them, for the redemption of their souls and the hope of their safety and salvation, who now pay their vows to thee, the everlasting living and true God. Then there is another uh, remembrance prayer, the Comunicantes, where we uh, refer to members of the Church Triumphant, that we are wanting to unite with them. Um, we honor them. At this point of the Mass, we unite with them um, before we go into the consecration. There are 12 martyrs um, that are mentioned at this point. So the, the 12 apostles um, are mentioned. Our Lady is mentioned. St. Joseph is, is mentioned. But then 12 martyrs. Um, and all of those martyrs who are mentioned are particularly honored in Rome. So this is the mm. Roman rite of the Mass. And the, the uh, Church over time chose to include at this point martyrs that were well-known in Rome. Let me just give their names. Um, You have Linus, Cletus, Clement, Sixtus, Cornelius, Cyprian, Lawrence, Chrysogonus, John and Paul, Cosmas, and Damian. So those those are the martyrs who are mentioned. Um, At the end of the Communicantes, um, the priest joins his hands together. Uh, so this this is to indicate a special fervor. So so uh, through throughout the, the the mass, there's many times the priest is asked to have his hands apart, and this was this was an attitude of, of prayer. It's always an attitude of prayer um, to indicate we're 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 imploring, we're imploring the God for for something. Um, but then when you bring them together, it's it's like to indicate a special fervor and intensity of the prayer. 
Um, so the, the priest brings his hands together at the end of the communicantes, and then he places them over the oblation. Um, it can be seen as a, as a symbol of, of placing the sins uh, of the world upon the victim. And when he does that, this is the hankiji tour. This is that point where the server is always like, um, "Do I? Where, when do I ring the bell?" You know, he's got to he's got to pay attention carefully to ring the bell at this at this point, which notifies the people that okay, we're we're getting really close to the consecration, so pay attention. This prayer says, "O Lord, we beseech thee graciously to accept this oblation of our service and that of thy whole household. Order our our days in thy peace, and command that we be rescued from eternal damnation." And numbered in the flock of thine elect, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Another prayer for salvation. Um, then he brings his hands back together, and he says a prayer where he makes five signs of the cross over the, the offerings. Um, three of them are over both the offerings, um, then one each over the body and the blood, what is to become the body and blood of our Lord. He says, humbly we pray thee, O God, be pleased to make this same offering wholly blessed, to consecrate it and approve it, making it reasonable and acceptable, so that it may become for us the body and blood of thy dear beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. So the word, he's, he's asking for the matter to be blessed and consecrated, um, clearly a prayer just before he's going to perform the consecration. Then he launches into a re, certain remembrance of what took place. Um, he says, when, when, he, when he says at the end of the Quam Oblation, he says, of thy dearly beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, he says, who the day before he suffered, took bread into his holy and venerable hands, and having lifted up his eyes to thee, God, his almighty Father, the priest has to lift his, his eyes up at that point. Then he, he bows down a little bit, giving thanks to thee. He blessed it. And the, and the priest has the, the host in, in his hands, and he blesses the host, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, and the priest pauses at that moment. Okay, so he's, so he's standing at, at this point, and he pauses, and he, he just kind of hunkers down on, on the altar, you know, and, and bends down over, over the host. Um, so he stops what he's saying. He bends down over the host, and he pronounces the form of the sacrament in um, a little bit more elevated voice and more slowly. He pronounces the words more slowly than he, uh, his normal pace of, of praying the, the prayers of the Mass. I know that people following the Missal, they, like the priest goes so fast um, through these prayers. Uh, it's just because the, the priest says them every, every day. He knows them very well. Um, but he slows down at this point. Um, Father Brown says the priest supports himself on the altar in order to be in a position to pronounce the words of consecration more fittingly and more attentively. So there's there's a, a great reverence there um, on the on the part of the priest for this sacred moment. Then, of course, there is elevation. The elevation is. Uh, was added to the Mass in the Middle Ages to give the faithful uh, the opportunity to adore our Lord. Um, the priest first genuflects because our Lord is present at that moment when he says the words. Then he genuflects, then he elevates. Um, the, 
the uh, elevation was introduced really in response to the attack on the Blessed Sacrament by Berengarius, a heretic of the 11th century who denied the real presence. So the, the normal and healthy reaction of the church was that if he's going to deny the real presence, we're going to indicate more with our actions that our Lord is truly present. We're going to show more reverence to the Holy Eucharist. Um, if the current reverence we're showing to the Holy Eucharist is not sufficient to get rid of heresies, we're going to show more reverence. So, St. Bruno was one of the saints who wanted to make a special profession of faith in the Real Presence and also to provide the faithful the opportunity to see our Lord and adore Him at that, at that moment. So the, the priest um, ele- does the elevation. He does genuflection before and after the elevation. Then he consecrates um, the, the wine as well, very similar to the consecration of the host. Um, he does the genuflection before and after the elevation of the chalice. Um, and then and then he, he at that point, um, from that point of the Mass, we're sort of going down in, the, in that diagram from, from Know Your Mass, uh, we, we reach the high point. This is the sacramental immolation of our Lord. You have this our Lord present under the separate species, represents the separation of his body and his blood. And now that our Lord is present, the the words of the prayers are not going to be asking to bless the matter, um, but they will be referring to offering the matter. So... Uh, during the consecration, Father, uh, sorry, um, during the consecration, what is the, what are the faithful meant to do? Um, sometimes I see people making the sign of the cross during the elevation, sometimes striking their breast, um, sometimes saying a prayer. Is there any recommendation or something that we should be doing during the elevation, Father? Yes, the, they're, they're meant to have the sentiments of, of adoration of our Lord. That they're especially supposed to okay. have in mind that that it's at that moment that our Lord becomes present. So they they should have this disposition of of faith that that they believe that our Lord becomes present at that point. And then the first act that that when He comes is is to want to adore Him, newly present on our altar. Um, I don't think it's advisable. Sometimes people bow down in their pews. Um, this was this was something that, that the faithful of the Middle Ages did when they're having this this new desire to show reverence. They would they would bow down um, at that point, like w- sort of when the priest bowed down to to make the consecration, they would bow down, and then when he elevated, they would lift up. Then they would bow down again. Um, <clears throat> It's a little ostentatious in uh, at the current moment, so it's probably not advisable. But they, they do want to have this disposition of, of adoration of, of our Lord present on the altar. Yeah. So immediately after, you, you know, um, something that just comes to my mind is that uh, I went on a retreat one time by, by Father Shane Johnson, um, one of the senior priests of, of the society. He's there in, in Australia. And he said something very striking. He said it often during the course of the retreat. Um, he was talking about basically between the Hank Iji tour and the Supachaste Rogamus of the Mass. He he kept saying to us, "That's where your priesthood is. <laughs> that that's that's your priesthood right there. That's the very heart of your priesthood." And 
I remember a, a seminarian at Holy Cross Seminary who was my dirige, and, and he was learning how to say the Mass. And he said to me, he, he asked, at what point of the Mass do, do I offer um, our Lord to God? Because, you know, he understood that the elevation is just showing our Lord to the faithful. Um, and what, at what point do, do we make this offering to the Heavenly Father? And I said it was, it was at this prayer, this next prayer, right after the consecration, the Undi et Memores, um, which, which goes like this. And now, O Lord, we, thy servants, and with all of us, um, with, all, with us all, thy holy people, calling to mind the blessed passion of this same Christ, thy Son, our Lord, likewise his resurrection from the grave, and also his glorious ascension into heaven, do offer unto thy most sovereign majesty, out of the gifts thou hast bestowed upon us, a victim which is pure, a victim which is holy, a victim which is spotless, the holy bread of life eternal, and the chalice of everlasting salvation. So, so this, he makes five signs of the cross, over the the offerings, and this is the point where we say we have our Lord newly present on the altar. We want to give infinite homage to God, and we we offer to God um, this most perfect victim. Father Brown, uh, commenting on this part of the Mass, he says, when we make five signs of the cross at the Undia Memores, the first at Ostium Puram indicates that this host is the pure victim that was attached to the cross. The second, at Ostium Sanctum, indicates that this host is the holy victim that was offered on the cross. The third, at Ostium Immaculatum, that this host is the stainless victim that was immolated on the same cross. The fourth, at Panum Sanctum, that here is the holy bread of life, which has come down from heaven and who died on the cross to give us life. The fifth, at Calicium Salutis, that the blood which is in the chalice is the same which was said, which was shed on the cross for the salvation of the world. So we're, we're just speaking about the perfection of what we're offering to God. It is the most perfect offering possible. Um, after that, the, the priest simply asks God that, that he accept this sacrifice that he's making um, in, in the same way that he accepted the, this, these great sacrifices of the Old Testament made by Abel, Abraham, and Melchizedek. He says, deign to look upon them, uh, th- these victim, uh, these offerings, with a favorable and gracious countenance, and to accept them as thou didst accept the offerings of thy just servant Abel, and the sacrifice of our patriarch Abraham, and that which thy high priest Melchizedek offered up to thee, a holy sacrifice, an immaculate victim. Then, once again, he, he bows down to the altar. Um, he uses the word supliches. He, he says, we, we beg thee, being bowed down um, for certain graces. So he, he bows down to the level of the altar, saying, Humbly, we beseech thee, Almighty God, to command that these our offerings be carried by the hands of thy holy angel to thine altar on high in the sight of thy divine majesty, so that those of us who shall receive the most sacred body, and blood of thy son, by partaking thereof from this altar, may be filled with every grace and heavenly blessing through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. So he uh, has the three offering prayers. This is, this is the third offering prayer directly after the consecration. This is the point where Saint John, uh, Saint, uh, where Father Shane Johnson 
said to us that that's what, where our priesthood is contained um, up to that point. Then in parallel with the memento of the living, you have the memento of the dead. At this point, we remember the faithful departed. Um, a very beautiful prayer. Be mindful also, O Lord, of thy servants and handmaids so-and-so who are gone before us with the sign of faith and who sleep the sleep of peace. To these, O Lord, and to all who rest in Christ, grant we beseech thee a place of refreshment, light, and peace. Um, so Father Brown, he comments on the language there that, that um, we speak of the dead as sleeping. You know, that our Lord spoke of Lazarus as sleeping. Uh, friend Lazarus is asleep. And we speak of, of the dead as resting in the sleep of peace because we believe that those who, who die in the state of grace um, are at peace right now and uh, are going to be raised up, up again unto eternal life. So uh, in, in the past, when this, this, we get this expression that you see so, so many places, requiescat and pace, may he rest in peace. The, the idea of, of Catholics was that those who die uh, in peace with the church, in communion with the church, um, they rest. Once they, 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 they die, um, they have died in peace, and they're resting in peace, and they just await that moment of the final judgment when they will be raised up from the dead and enter into eternal life. So from now until then, you're just kind of sleeping for a long time. That's beautiful. Um, the next part is, is like you said, one of the parts of the of the canon where Father will say something in a little bit of an elevated voice. Yes, the, the nobis quoque peccatoribus. So this is kind of parallel with the communicantes. Um, we we once want to once again, and so many times in the mass, we want to remember <clears throat> the church triumphant, the saints that we're not just doing this alone, but they're also with us. So the communicantes, it mentions saints in order to offer the sacrifice and communion with them. But the nobis quoque peccatoribus mentions saints who are possessing eternal happiness. And the, these are saints that we wish to join in their eternal happiness. We're expecting that by offering this sacrifice, through the offering of the sacrifice, we will receive the salvation of our souls. And... Um, this this prayer kind of mentions different classes of people who are in heaven. Uh, a prophet, St. John the Baptist, a deacon, Stephen, an apostle, St. Matthias, uh, a disciple, Barnabas, a bishop, Ignatius, a pope, Alexander, and a priest, uh, a martyr priest, uh, Marcel, Marcellinus, an exorcist, Peter, uh, two married women, Perpetua and Felicitas, and uh, five virgins. Uh, Agatha, Lucy, Agnes, Cecilia, and Anastasia, mm. and all of these, all of these once more are martyrs, just like in the Communicantes. Um, then, the the last prayers that the priest will say at the end of the canon, because we're coming to the the very end of the canon, um, is the the periquim and the periipsum. So he's kind of wrapping up and he wants to indicate with our Lord present at the altar that we're doing all these things through him. Um, it says, the periquim prayer goes, By whom, O Lord, thou dost always create, sanctify, quicken, bless, and bestow upon us all these good things. And he makes signs of the cross at sanctify, quicken, and bless. Um, 
So Father Brown, he says, we don't, we don't make the sign of the cross at create because our Lord creates um, as the person of the Trinity. It's not in his humanity that he's creating. It's, it's in his divinity. But, but uh, it's from the cross that he sanctifies, quickens, and blesses us. Then the concluding prayer to the canon says, Through him and with him and in him is unto thee, God the Father Almighty, and the unity of the Holy Ghost, all honor and glory, world without end. Amen. And that's that's the Peromnia Sequela Sequelorum that concludes the canon. And again, five more signs of the cross. So many, so many signs of the cross, so many actions of the priest bowing down or um, just bowing slightly during during the canon. And that's the point where the um, the solemn moment has passed. Okay. We've gone through the canon, and now we move on to the communion, um, referring firstly to the priest's communion, and then also, if there is mm-hmm. any, then moving on to the faithful. Yes. So the uh, essential part of the Mass is that the priests communicate from the sacramental matter that he has consecrated, um, that he received communion. And in... The, um, the traditional Mass, we now say the Our Father. Um, it's, it's always been said alone by the priest in, in the Latin rite. Uh, St. Augustine and St. Gregory the Great speak about this, and that's, they say it's so that the faithful can all hear the Our Father being pronounced. Um, <clears throat> but the, we just ask the faithful, the faithful are asked to say the final petition, deliver us from evil. And it's that final petition that the church kind of takes up and focuses on um, for the next several prayers, the deliverance from evil and the possession of peace that we hope to obtain through the reception of our Lord. And the Know Your Mass book, um, at at this point, going down the steps, it represents God coming to us at this point. The prayers are kind of representing our Lord coming to us and bringing us blessings. So after the the paternoster, the priest says a prayer, uh, the liberanos, asking that we be delivered from evil, just follows on that last petition of the Our Father, and that we be granted peace. It says, deliver us, we beseech thee, O Lord, from all evils, past, present, and to come. And by the intercession of the blessed and glorious ever-Virgin Mary, Mother of God, together with thy blessed apostles Peter and Paul and Andrew and all the saints, Mercifully grant peace in our days, that through the bounteous help of thy mercy we may always be free from sin and safe from all disquiet. So it's a request for deliverance from sins and um, this peace that we that we hope. Then you have the Promnia Sequela Seculorum and the Pax Domini. May the peace of our Lord be always with you and the in the faithful say and with your spirit. Um, Pax Domini sit semper vobiscum, you know, with the priest making, he has he has the host in his hands, and he makes this, the signs of the cross over the chalice. So so he he takes the the host, he breaks it um, once in half, and then he breaks a little portion off of it, and with that little portion, he says Pax Domini sit semper vobiscum, and then he drops that the that portion of the host into the wine 
And while up to this point, <clears throat> it's only the sacrifice of the cross that has been signified, and it's been signified in so many ways so explicitly in the traditional Mass. It's at this point that um, the priest is wanting to signify the reunion of our Lord's soul and body mm. at his resurrection. So our, our Lord um, had a human nature and his soul and body were separated at death as will happen to us when we die. And um, we expect the reunion of our soul and body at the, at the last judgment. But for our Lord, obviously, they were reunited three days after he died. And um, by the, the sacred species under the appearance of bread, being united with sacred species under the appearance of wine, um, the, the wine kind of represents his soul, the, 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 um, the bread represents his body, and they're reunited at that moment. So it represents his resurrection. And when the priest does that, he says, may, the, may this mingling and hallowing of the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ be for us to receive it, a source of eternal life. Uh, another prayer for salvation. I mean, I don't know if you've been counting, taking, keeping a tally. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> um, but it's, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> then the Agnus Dei, um, the priest, he, he uh, has his, his hands folded and he, he strikes his breast three times. Um, he has to look at the host at this time. He's addressing our Lord. He's saying, Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. Uh, and then the last petition, of course, is give us peace. As I say, we keep asking for peace at this point of the Mass. Then he says three prayers, uh, three personal prayers. This is the only time of the Mass that the, the prayers actually address um, our Lord directly. The Agnus Dei has direct, uh, addressed him directly. And these three prayers, the sort of the pre-communion prayers of the priests, address our Lord directly. Mm-hmm. The first prayer um, is, a, is a request for peace, um, you know, at, at once more. And then the, there are two other prayers that, that are personal. Um, so the prayer for peace says, O Lord Jesus Christ, who did say to thine apostles, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Look not upon my sins, but upon the faith of thy church. And deign to give her that peace and unity, which is agreeable to thy will. God who lives and reigneth, world without end. Amen. Um, and then there's a prayer for the holiness of the priest. O Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, who by the will of the Father and the cooperation of the Holy Ghost, hast by thy death given life to the world. Deliver me by this, thy most sacred body and blood, from all my iniquities and from every evil. Make me cling always to thy commandments, and permit me never to be separated from thee. Who with the same God the Father and the Holy Ghost liveth, reigneth God, world without end. Amen. Then lastly, there's a third prayer that the priest prays um, for his Holy Communion. It's directed towards his Holy Communion. So right after this, he's going to receive Holy Communion. He says, Let not the partaking of thy body, O Lord Jesus Christ, which I, though unworthy, presume to receive, Turn to my judgment and condemnation, but through thy mercy may it be unto me a safeguard and a healing remedy, both of soul and body, who lives and reigneth with God the Father, and the unity of the Holy Ghost, God, world without end. Amen. So then, um, after those preliminary prayers before his communion, the priest takes the, the host in, in his left hand. Um, 
under uh, with a with a patent beneath the host. And he says the domain announced him Dinus three times. He strikes his best three times. Lord, I am not worthy. Thou should enter under my roof, but say the word, and my soul shall be healed. Um, and then he communicates himself. He he makes the sign of the cross with the host. Um, this is an acceptable communion in the hand. It's okay for the priest <laughs> to do communion in the hand. <laughs> his hands have been consecrated. Um, but you know when he receives communion in the hand. He doesn't receive it in the manners of the Novus Ordo, but, but he, he bends down. He bends down and takes the host. Um, and when he says the prayer um, for himself before he receives communion, you can probably guess what he's going to pray for. Um, but he says the same thing that he says when, when he gives the host uh, to the faithful. He says, may the body of our Lord Jesus Christ preserve my soul unto life everlasting. After that, he he removes the the pole from the um, the chalice, and I, I forgot to mention all the the genuflections that take place throughout the mass. They're just all over the place. But but basically, every time the, the priest would remove the pole, he genuflect. Every time he puts the pole back on, he genuflects. So whenever the presence of our Lord is revealed, mm. he needs to genuflect. And you notice when the priest opens the tabernacle, the presence of our Lord is revealed. He genuflects. He brings the ciborium out. He uncovers the ciborium. Presence of our Lord is revealed. He genuflects. You know, this is this is a general rule throughout the mass. So he he takes the chalice uh, after after he brushes the fingers also to get any particles that might be on his canonical fingers um, from from his own communion. He brushes them off into the chalice. Um, he, he also has to do that every single time uh, after he's touched the host. He needs to brush the, the particles off. Then he takes the chalice and he lifts it up and he says, What returns shall I make to the Lord for all the things that he has given unto me? I will take this chalice of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will call upon the name of the Lord and give praise. And I should be saved from my enemies. Um, he makes the sign of the cross with the chalice. says that that prayer um, that's exactly like the prayer that he said for the host. May the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ preserve my soul unto life everlasting. Amen. Um, consumes the precious blood. And at that point, um, the Mass is is complete in the, in the sense that uh, the Mass, uh, the, that the three parts of the sacrifice have been done. The offering, the immolation, and the consummation of the victim. Wow. Um, obviously, there's more to get through. Um, both in this podcast and during the Mass. Um, but we can kind of see here, again, the, the development of the Mass, where, well, it just makes sense to continue and say some prayers of thanksgiving, etc. afterwards. We can kind of see this organic development of, of the Mass. Yes, yes. So um, the rest of the way, after uh, the priest has received communion and he's distributed communion to the faithful, the focus is on giving thanks to God for this great blessing for um, the gift of receiving our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. So after the priest closes the, the tabernacle, um, one thing that he, he has to do is, is he has to uh, purify his, his fingers. He has to purify the vessel, um, the, the chalice. Um, so he's already brushed, uh, he's already scraped the, the corporal for any possible particles. He's always he's already put, um, removed the particles from the paten, also from the communion plate that was used at communion. Um, and so now he needs to purify his fingers, <clears throat> and he needs to purify the chalice. So he goes over to the side, 
and or actually it doesn't go over to the chalice. He, he first purifies the chalice um, by tipping the chalice, and the, the server comes up and pours wine in, into that. And while he's he's pouring wine, the priest says this prayer: "Grant, O Lord, that what we have taken with our mouth, we may receive with a pure mind." And that from a temporal gift, it may become for us an everlasting remedy. <clears throat> everlasting remedy, asking for to redound to his salvation. Then he goes to the side. He, he puts, his, he puts his, his fingers on top of the chalice and he goes to the side. The reason why he can't go to the side um, at first is because the chalice still contains a little bit of the precious blood. And whenever you have the sacred species on the altar, on a, the real presence of our Lord, it has to remain on the corporal. Mm. You can't take it off, the, the real presence off the corporal. Uh, the only exception is at communion time when you take the ciborium down. But since the, the chalice contains a little bit of the precious blood, you can't drain it all. Um, he he tips the chalice over there at that point. But then when he goes over for the second time, it's not for the chalice that he goes over there. It's for the purification of his fingers. There's a little bit of wine poured in, um, and then there's there's uh, water that's poured in. Uh, the little bit of wine, I've asked myself many times, why is, why is a little bit of wine? I think it might be just in case maybe some of the wine got on the fingers. You purify the wine with the wine, you know, uh, the precious blood with the wine. Um, and then, then the water... When um, the server is, is pouring these liquids into the chalice, the priest says, May thy body, O Lord, which I have received, and thy blood, which I have drunk, cleave to my, most in, my inmost parts, and grant that no stain of sin remain in me, whom these pure and holy sacraments have refreshed, who livest reignest world without end. Amen. So, um, at that point, the, there's just a few more uh, prayers. So the, the priest, uh, he, he wipes the chalice. He cleanses the chalice. He, he puts everything back together as, as it was at the beginning of Mass. He puts the corporal back in the verse and everything. Um, and there's, there's just a, a few more things to be done. He goes to the Missal. He says the communion verse, which is typically sung. They're in sung Mass during the reception of communion by the faithful. The priest needs to say it. Then he goes back to the middle, says Dominus Vobiscum. Then he play, prays the, the post-communion prayer. And that's sort of the official prayer of thanksgiving on behalf of the whole church. And and that, that used to be the end of the Mass <clears throat> at that point. Um, and the priest would, would dismiss the faithful with the Itai Misa asked, uh, go, the Mass is done. It is, it is the Mass. <laughs> um, so the, the, their Misa... Is it makes sense right. that you can go now, um, you can be sent away, and you know th- this was the way where the mass ended up to the year one thousand, um, and after that there were there were three things added: um, a prayer to the Trinity, asking the Trinity that the sacrifice be acceptable to the Trinity, um, then the last blessing, and the last gospel. So. That prayer to the Trinity, very beautiful. Again, the, the priest looks up to the cross, and then he, he looks down, um, and he says, May the tribute of my homage be pleasing to thee, O most holy Trinity. Grant that the sacrifice which I, unworthy as I am, have offered in the presence of thy majesty, may be acceptable to thee. Through thy mercy, may it bring forgiveness to me and to all for whom I have offered it. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.
Then he gives the, the last blessing. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. He says the last gospel and thus concludes this momentous ceremony. Um, it's kind of striking that, that all that takes place within the space of a half an hour, um, you know, at a, at a low mass. Right. But um, there's there's so much there. It's it's so rich um, and such a beautiful expression of of the sacrifice itself. Yeah, you took the words out of my mouth, Father. I was just going to say it's it's so rich. There's so much there. And and frankly, you and I have just barely even scratched the surface after talking for over an hour and a half um, of what yes. all the symbolism is there. Um, it, it really is beautiful. Uh, but we're not going to get into that now. Uh, but I think it will be pretty striking next week once we start to look at the Novus Ordo, and then we can have a frame of reference to go back and forth on. Yeah, it's going to be an amazing contrast. Yeah. Yes. Um, we think think just how um, just a few of these prayers, if you say them, said them every day, would nourish your soul. Uh, how powerful this is for our sanctification, for asking everything that we need and embodying the spirit of our Catholic faith. Um, and then to, to see the Novus Ordo and what we're being given now, um, it really is tragic. It is. But I don't want to anticipate the next podcast. Right. Um, yes. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, Father, this has been uh, this has been a haul. Thank you so much for taking all the time to do this and, and to prepare it as well ahead of time. Um, so thank you so much for this. We appreciate it. And we'll see you next week. Yeah. Yes. Thank you for your time as well. Andrew. All right.